As I said, Arthur Goldstock, MD at Worldwide Works this evening. Arthur, good evening and thank you for joining us. Good evening, Gershaw. Good to be chatting with you and the listeners at this late hour. Thanks, man. Listen, just very quickly, I mean, you know, I find it very interesting. Just last week, I interacted with Zoom as well as another program. I forgot what it's called, you know, for digital meeting. And it's actually quite interesting how quickly we've been shoved into this digital world where you have to work from home. You have to still produce uh, while, um, you know, being under lockdown. It's been fascinating to watch the rapid move that people have made from physical meetings to uh, virtual meetings. And it was quite funny, a few days before the lockdown, I went for a run and I ran past a group of teenage uh, girls chatting amongst each other and they were all discussing which tools they were using to attend lectures at university. Mm. And I would never have heard a conversation like that amongst almost any group in, in public. It would only have been techies in an office environment, perhaps, having that kind of discussion. And I realized that even before the lockdown, that had become a standard topic of conversation. Because people were forced to think about it because um, I guess all of us saw this lockdown coming on the horizon, um, some more prepared than others. Yes, social distancing was already a thing probably two weeks before uh, the lockdown and people were Mm. already nervous about being in crowded places. Companies were already starting to send their staff home. So those who got in early were already using the tools actively by the time the lockdown came. Uh, what does this, though, say about, uh, or how does it bode for South Africa's future? I mean, you know, a lot of people are talking about uh, this changing world or this this world that will never be quite the same, almost likening it to another great tragedy in uh, 9-11. And I mean, Arthur, you know how 9-11 has impacted on your travel, has impacted on all of our travel. Uh, you don't just get onto a plane the way you used to. There's all kinds of regulations that you have to meet with now. Um, this is the first global pandemic, I guess, for the 21st century um, it, it does raise a whole bunch of questions a lot of a lot more companies now and in you know um, industries going to have people working from home is this going to be stock standard or are we just going to go back to our lives as it used to be I don't think we'll ever be able to go back to our lives as it used to be because it has been such a fundamental shift now the idea of remote working and having video conference meetings has been around for a long time and for the last decade, I'd say, there's been a massive move towards what they call digital transformation of companies. But it's only the cutting-edge companies that have really embraced it and have been doing this kind of thing all along. The others have been warned for a long time, and schools also have been warned for a long time that they need to embrace digital. They need to embrace uh, digital learning platforms and the like, remote learning, etc. Not only for this kind of situation, but for those students who are unable to attend class, for example, and also to assist uh, those kids in areas where they can't get to school at all. Mm. Now, of course, we have the issue of not everyone having the technology to access it, but that too is part of what this country should have been preparing for for the last 20 years. And it's not a sudden awakening that uh, this is something that we should be doing. People have been calling for it for two decades now. Very true. And I mean, I think that there was a sense of of being reticent where um, we we live in a very traditional world and ultimately people hate doing new things or or moving away from uh, what they know best. And I think that one of the biggest... 
concerns ultimately is that people tend to worry that if Gershwin works from home, he is not going to spend his time working. He's going to be spending his time uh, doing other things. I don't know, hanging out, watching movies and doing that type of stuff. What does the research actually tell us at this stage, Arthur, about people who work from home, especially those who are able to because of connectivity? We're, in fact, uh, embarking literally this week on a research project to measure the extent to which companies were ready for this, how well it's working for them, how well their staff are adapting, and also uh, to what extent they'll carry on doing this after the crisis is over. And what we already starting to see in uh, anecdotal evidence is that a lot of companies are waking up to the fact that this can be a far more efficient means of people, for example, having meetings with uh, key executives who have had to travel from around the country or even around the world, that kind of thing is going to slow down dramatically mm. and we're going to see a preference for a video conferencing. In terms of working from home, and exactly that issue that you mentioned of worrying whether the person is actually uh, working, uh, there are already tools that can monitor that, but you're going to see a lot of new tools emerge to make it more effective to monitor that. So, for example, uh, Microsoft Teams is the most commonly used collaborative tool for not just video conferencing, but for document sharing and for uh, workflow management. Mm. It's a difficult one to uh, get to grips with, but universities are using it and businesses are using it extensively. And it does include the ability to measure attention. Even Zoom, the very basic uh, video conferencing tool that most people are using for free, has got commercial versions where you can also uh, test attention. And then once you get into the corporate world, there are many tools that can measure productivity, whether you're actually logging on to the site on which you're supposed to be working and whether you're active on that site. They can actually measure a, a range of activities that can tell them whether you're being productive or not. But what this means is that the kind of middle management that used to have the task of overseeing people working, that is suddenly going to vanish because they're going to realize that software can do that far more efficiently, um, less obtrusively, but also in a, a less biased way because middle management tends to be uh, very easily swayed by um, their liking for people or their dislike for people. Software doesn't have that problem. That for me is actually quite fascinating. But I mean, you know, the, at the center of this is ultimately sociology, human behavior and how we act and even psychology to some extent. And maybe you're not an expert in that field, Arthur. But, you know, for me, this year does show that maybe we need to start changing our way of thinking because there's part of me that always say that when, when someone says that they're working from home, uh, there's almost a guilt attached to it, Right. Um, where you you probably want to supersede what your normal output is because you don't want the boss to believe that you're sitting on your bum watching movies all day and that you would probably apply yourself even more. Apart from that, the difficulty that we're facing with this lockdown is because the kids are home. I have to make sure that homework gets done. I have to help with uh, all kinds of other things, you know, chores in the home, et cetera, et cetera, things that I'm not normally encumbered by when I'm in an office. So my working schedule and all of those things might change significantly as to what it normally is. I'm not available from eight till four, strictly speaking, but, um, you know, uh, working from eight until 10 uh, in the evenings or till midnight is, is probably another option. 
it's certainly going to happen. And in fact, on my online magazine, Gadget, we've already ran a series of articles that uh, look at not just the rules of working from home, but also the impact of it. And research is already being done on that particular aspect in terms of how long people are working or how hard they're working. And therefore, you hit the, 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 nail, the nail on the head. Uh, people are, in fact, working longer hours at home. On average, they're finding that in the United States, people doing remote working where they have been sent home but still have to work a full day are working two hours longer. But having said that, the flip side of it is you're not spending time commuting. And I think that's the big plus that most workers will discover, those who can work from home via mm. computers, but also management will discover that the uh, cutting out that commute is going to be a massive enhancement of people's lifestyles, but also, I believe, of productivity. I mean, for me, it's just absolutely stunning how, uh, you know, this has basically forced us into that digital age. Because I think, as you said, it's been there for quite some time. People have been asking questions about this. Um, the, the technology clearly does exist. Um, however, we, de- we have just not uh, picked up. Uh, on, on, on this technology and started using it. So we've seen an uptick in, in its use at the moment and it's clearly uh, paying dividends as we speak to each other now. But um, I understand that you also have uh, uh, your own uh, virtual media uh, training uh, in the area of, of social distancing and beyond. W- what is that all about, if you can uh, take us through it? I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not telling people how to wash their hands, how to sanitize their hands and how no, to generally stay, stay safe. I'm sure it takes it to another level. This this is something that's flowed out of our media training that we do for executives, how to um how to be interviewed essentially. Mm. Not just um on um in in a journalist face to face type situation, but also on radio and on T V. And uh when we began looking at social distancing probably about three weeks ago, uh we moved that into an online uh, frame. And we suddenly found that new insights were emerging about how people face the camera, which you don't see when you've got someone in a, in a, in a studio, for example, looking at the yeah, uh, yeah. interviewer. But once you're doing it virtually, suddenly the parameters change completely. And then you Believe me, I, I think I could benefit from your a bit of training there. I just did a, a news interview last week and I, I got a message telling me that I need to smile a little more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly one of the rules. <laughs> but but what, you, what you really noticed was that as uh, all the TV channels moved completely to remote uh, interviews and everyone had to set up Skype at their homes oh. and they were conducting these interviews via Skype, is that almost no one knew how to be interviewed via Skype. So we had the good fortune that uh, both myself and um, uh, one of my colleagues, Brian Turner, get interviewed regularly on uh, the various uh, TV channels about technology trends and uh, tech news, and very often those interviews are via Skype. So we've kind of been learning it over time, and suddenly we're seeing all these people who clearly have never done it before, and they have no idea mm. how to look at the camera. So that's the, <laughs> the most basic one of all. People are looking at the screen because they're looking at the person on the other side who's looking at them. But when you, look, when you see that on TV, yeah. it looks like the person's eyes are all over the place. It looks like they're actually not interested in the interview, ah. whereas they, they believe they are looking at the interviewer, but they're not looking at the camera itself. 
And that's why it looks like they're not facing uh, the audience. The, the other big one, and this is so common, it's quite shocking, is that people think they're visiting the ear, nose, and throat specialist. So they're giving you a view of their nostrils. Now, <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> they're, they're looking down at the, at the, at the computer screen. Um, oh. And the angle that the, that the webcam is getting is literally up the nose. So um, that one in particular can be quite embarrassing. But then there's a range of other things as well. So we've, in fact, created a LinkedIn group called Facing the Webcam. And in there, we're sharing our tips and tricks. So, for example, we've created a 21-rule checklist for how to run a webinar because that's the new conference. No longer physical conferences, it's all webinars. And in the future, when we come out of this crisis, we're going to find that webinars will become a standard way for companies to address customers or staff, uh, for that matter. So um, we, we've now extended the media training essentially to presentation uh, training and what's called facing the webcam. And then we have some very basic rules, five the real basic rules for facing the webcam. The very first one is um, to ensure that you've got even lighting in the environment in which you've been interviewed. It's amazing how many people you see on TV now have got a window behind them. Right. I know that one. Them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, they were, I've, in fact, I made that mistake myself, but it was because <laughs> my desk, um, um, you know, faces uh, the back of, I mean, my back faces a window wow. with blinds, but yeah, you still have yeah. that light seeping through and then you look like a, a character out of touch by an angel. If exactly, you get my drift. exactly. Um, but, uh, this is exactly the issue. It's that people haven't done it before, so they don't realize yeah, uh, yeah. what effect uh, the positioning of uh, your desk or your uh, computer is going to have on how you appear on screen. Mm. Only after someone's pointed it out to you or after a few times or when you see yourself uh, on, on um, screen that you suddenly realize, wow, is that what, what I was doing? And, Arthur, just, um, just remind people very quickly, mm. where can they get a hold of this stuff, uh, this, this masterclass? How do they go about it? Is it something that I can just quickly YouTube or Facebook or is there another process involved? At this stage, it's on LinkedIn, uh-huh. and on, link, uh, on LinkedIn, you go to, uh, the address is uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, and, um, the, and then slash, and then face the webcam, and that will take you to the LinkedIn group. It's actually got a different address with a, with a number in it, but that's the easy one to remember. Mm-hmm. It's bit.ly, bit dot L-Y, slash, face the webcam. But if you just do a search on LinkedIn on facing the webcam, then that will also bring it up. So tomorrow we, we're going to put up a video of a simulated uh, video meeting where everything goes wrong. And uh, it basically highlights the kind of mistakes um, almost everyone makes when they first have a video uh, conference meetings. That's a one-on-one meeting. No, that's awesome. And, um, and we'll, we'll keep adding more resources to this uh, page or this group that people will be able to draw on to help teach themselves. But I mean, that's awesome because this for me looks like a, a long-term view. You know, it's something that is not just for the year and now. It is literally getting us ready for the future, as you said, that we in all likelihood going to live through right now and that we are actually currently living through something that we have to deal with. 
um, something that we have to, uh, you know, something that we have to cope with uh, going into the future. I mean, just out of interest, just as a final one, uh, not as a final one, but sort of uh, getting towards the tail end of our conversation there. Um, what are some of the changes that you yourself, Arthur, see happening that, that you know, executives and people uh, in, 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 in the ivory towers need to start um, appreciating and understanding that will be part and parcel of our lives? The, the single biggest shift that is going to happen is that companies are all going to learn how to digitalize their processes. And that's a different way from digitize. Everyone talks about digitizing. What digitizing, strictly speaking, means is that you're taking your paper and you're turning it into a scanned documents as opposed to paper documents. Mm. But then you still have a problem of those documents not really being alive. So you can't really search them effectively. Uh, you can't connect the content in those documents uh, to each other, etc. With digitalization, all your processes are actually digital. All your systems, it's, uh, it becomes a matter of moments to connect a customer to a piece of information that they're looking for. Whereas, uh, let's take, for example, a medical aid. No names. Uh, no punishment here. But let's say a medical aid, mm. you've got a problem with a, a particular claim you've made. You've got to resubmit the documents um, by fax or something equally stone age. And then you've got to wait a few days while they reconcile your documents for their records. In a digitalized uh, process, mm. you, you only have to point to a link to, let's say, uh, the doctor and um, highlight the date and the system will instantly pull out the evidence or connect the medical aid to the proof that you had that treatment or uh, that consultation or whatever the case might be and you'll reconcile the, um, the payment or the uh, compensation or the refund in seconds as opposed to something that today takes anything from days to weeks. And there's any number of those kind of processes across all kinds of businesses that at the moment cause massive customer frustration. And uh, one of the best examples is probably government. Um, the idea of e-government is exactly that, that you're not going to have to wait um, for weeks or months for a document or for an appointment for a driver's license. Mm. So, um, all those kind of long lines that people standing at the moment are in fact quite an indignity for the citizen. And I'm talking about all kinds of government um, queues mm. and lines, pension, mm. uh, UIF, the works. All of it, yeah. That needs to actually go away. Very true. And it's not just about convenience, but I think, uh, you know, I like what you said that it, it is, an, you know, it's undignified. It's, it's an indignity that's being done to me uh, in forcing me to yeah. do that. And now we have the means to, we know that we have the technology available, that this doesn't have to be something that someone has to suffer on an ongoing basis. Arthur, listen, as always, mate, it, it was absolutely fascinating hearing about this and, you know, uh, seeing where we're heading uh, in terms of our future because, uh, you know, as, as I'm sitting here right now, um, it's quite clear that the world is changing. I'm not too sure, and maybe it is because I'm all too often a bit cynical about some of our executives and people at the very top um, in terms of their willingness to change, their their readiness to change. But um, I keep on hearing about how 
things will change irrevocably after COVID-19. Um, and I hope that some of the changes that you mentioned are, are part of that and that people start taking it more seriously. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate your time. No, only a pleasure. That was Arthur Goldstock, as I said. He is the MD at Worldwide Works.